0: Well, believe it or not, Mike Johnson checked this morning. We started Revelation at the last weekend in January. <laughs> and we're going to see if we can go till next January. <laughs> Lord willing, we will finish today. We are finally going to get a little bit of a look at the eternal life that God has for each one of us as we get into chapters 21 and 22. Now, I want to encourage you, there is no way I could spend the next six months just on chapters 21 and 22, but I'm not going to, praise God. But I hope that you get enough of a taste and a flavor and it, it encourages you enough that you dig in. When we get to the very few, last few verses of, of chapter 22, it tells us, you know, that we are not to ignore this word. We're not to change this word. That this word has been given by God, prophetically, through the Apostle John, for us today. So the title of my morning, message this morning is, All Things Made New. All Things Made New. Everything is going to be made new. You know, when we got married, my wife and I, a number of years ago, we lived in a little house. Not that little house, but it looked about like that little house. It was old. As a matter of fact, it was my great grandparents who had homesteaded the place many, many years ago. And as the case would be with many of those old homes, they built a little house. And at one time, it had a porch like that, but they closed that in to make a couple little rooms. We eventually put a washer and dryer in there, even though we had to use a garden hose to get the water in the washer. And then they added on another bedroom, and then they added a bedroom over here, and they added a bedroom back here, and, you know, they piecemealed it together. The foundation was made of field stone with a little bit of mortar, you know, about a hundred years ago. It was terrible. The windows, well, they were there. There was glass. The wind would blow, the curtains would move. It was fun. You felt like you were outdoors. The insulation was worse. It had no central heating. We had one of those. Some of you can relate. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. We had an old oil-burning stove in the living room. And the ceiling right above it was a little vent, so the hot air theoretically would go up and heat up the upstairs where we slept. We had to crank up the heat on the water bed and snuggle. But the good news was it didn't cost us much. It was our families. My dad had us just take care of upkeep and paid the insurances, and we were able to save a little money, because this wasn't our plan to live there forever. Now, my wife, if you talk to her about this story, you're going to think I'm lying, because she romanticizes this wonderful place. I look at it from a realistic perspective and go, my gosh, thank you, Lord, I think, But we we were going to think we were going to remodel it and make it nice and fix it all up and And live out in the country because we loved where we were living. But there was no way. No way we could afford it. You'd have had to basically start underground and then work your way up. So then our dream became, especially my wife's dream, which she became my dream. Men, you get that? (laughs) (laughs) Love her unconditionally as Christ loved the church was a log home. Ideally, it would have been in the woods somewhere, but we we settled for the lake, here across the lake where we're going to do baptism today. My point is, that old house, that run-down house, that beat-up house, was a blessing. But it wasn't our final destination. And we didn't want much, but we had a dream and a vision. And for us, all of us as Christians, it's a little bit like that. The Word of God says that we are not citizens of this earth. We are nothing more than sojourners or travelers living through this time on this planet Earth. Our ultimate home, Jesus in John chapter 14 said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare that place, I'm coming back for you. And then you will be with me always. I will be with you, you'll be with me. That's our home. So as we're going through life, just like we lived in that house and again, My opinion is a little different than my my wife's. As we went through it and I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh. That's how I feel about where we're living on this earth. You look at what's going on around us, as beautiful as it is, it's not our final home. As we look around us, it's it's getting closer and closer to the day when it's going to be totally destroyed and burnt up it's deteriorating because it's under the curse of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, just like we were under the curse before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we can't even imagine. Although he tries to give us a little description in in Revelations 21 and 22, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. If you would take the most beautiful place on this wonderful planet that God has given us to live on, For this time, I couldn't even imagine how many times you would have to multiply it to get it to look anywhere near heaven. Because we are living in a place under a curse. It's getting darker and darker in the environment we live in. But there is a day coming when He's coming back for us. In the Old Testament, starting all the way from the very beginning, right after Adam and Eve sinned, the Old Testament points to Jesus. It points to him coming back as our Redeemer, as our Savior. He redeems mankind through his death, his burial, his resurrection. He came as Emmanuel, God with us. But the world didn't even recognize him, the world rejected him. Actually, as part of God's plan, because he knew what was going to happen. And he went to the cross, and it says, when he went to the cross, he became a curse on our behalf. He took my sin. And He took the punishment that I deserved on that cross. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. And the penalty for sin was death. That was Jesus dying in my place. For all who reject Him, there is going to be a second death. It's called the lake of fire. It's called hell for eternity. But Jesus came to redeem us. And in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus through the entire Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, we get to read about the Redemption made available and offered to all of us. And when Jesus left the earth, He told His disciples, He told His disciples, that I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And since that time, the Holy Spirit has been building Christ's church, been -preparing, preparing His bride. All who will receive Him as their Lord and Savior can become part of his family, become part of his church. And the church has been being built and Jesus is going to come back one day for his church. He's going to come back and he's going to redeem everything. The scripture says all creation groans under the curse that was put on the earth in Genesis chapter 3 where God said the ground that you're walking on is cursed. But Jesus is coming back And it's going to all be made to new. And this is what Revelations 21 and 22 are talking about. A new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. It's not a new idea. It didn't just show up in Revelation. Actually, we look at a scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65. The prophet wrote these words, starting at verse 17. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, was prophesying there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And in this verse, we also see that heavenly city that's talked about in Revelation. There will be a new Jerusalem. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 102, verse 25, In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. There is coming a day when this earth and the heavens that we know of will be destroyed and gone. They're going to be thrown away, discarded. Actually, they're going to burn up according to Scripture. And not, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. In Second Peter, Peter wrote these words in chapter 3. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. A new heaven and a new earth. We can relate to the new earth thing pretty well, I think. The new heaven, what is he talking about? In the scriptures, heaven is used in three different ways. Actually, a first, second, and third heaven, if you would. The first heaven is what we would see in our day sky, our atmosphere. The first heaven. Then there is the second heaven that's sometimes referred to as the night sky or outer space, the solar system, the galaxies, the second heaven. And then there's the third heaven. I'm not sure where that one's located, but that's the place that God lives. What's going to be destroyed is the first and the second heaven. All those things that God created in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let there be, and he spoke these things into being, he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Different, but familiar. And I say that because if we look at the Greek word used here for the word new, it's kainos, And that word simply means a qualitative newness to it. Now some of you younger people won't relate to this, but you know when we used to get holes in our jeans, we used to put patches on them. We didn't buy them that way. But we could have a pair of jeans and maybe wear out the seat, maybe both knees, and Mom would come to the rescue. In my case, more than likely, Grandma would come to the rescue. Somebody would put patches on those things. And here they'd come, and here's your new jeans. And you're looking, they are new. They're new in the sense of they're different, but qualitatively, they were not new. God is not going to remake or remodel the earth or the heavens. They are going to be destroyed, they are going to be burnt up, they're going to be gone, and we're going to go back to what He was originally doing in Genesis, only it's going to be so much better. He is going to create a new heaven and a new earth for all of us that are His children and His church to live on for eternity. And not only is it going to be created new, you know, it just drives me crazy when I gotta go and buy a pair of jeans and they cost a lot. As much as you want to spend. And I wear them a few times, and the next thing you know, the knees are getting faded. They start to shrink around the waist. (laughs) And I spent all that money on them. And they aren't new anymore. The new heaven and the new earth is going to be created new, and it's going to remain new forever. Forever. It's not going to soil. It's not going to deteriorate. And neither are, oh praise God for this, our glorified bodies. We're going to get a new body and that new body is never, ever going to wear out. It's going to be new. Qualitatively new. Similar, I believe. We are going to look similar just like Jesus in His glorified body was recognized by His disciples. But it's going to be qualitatively different. 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 Thank goodness. And as you get older, you get more appreciative of that truth. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to figure out how we can get through two chapters in a few minutes. Verse 1 simply says these words Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there no longer was any sea. I believe it's clear from the Scripture that this new heaven and new earth is created after the millennium and after the judgment of the white throne where unbelievers are cast into the pit of fire. One of the reasons I believe that is he simply says there is no sea. Well, if you remember, in the millennium, it talked about the sea. So I believe this is after the millennial reign of Christ, after the final judgment of the unbelievers, And then there's this new earth and the new heavens that are created by God. And it goes on and says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared for us. This new Jerusalem. And we read the scriptures, and I'm not going to read them all, and they're not going to be up there. How many of you don't have a Bible anywhere in your home? Awesome. So you can go home and read it or bring it. With you, But it says that coming down from heaven, this new Jerusalem, and it's referred to in the Scriptures, he starts referring to it as the bride. Don't let that confuse you. The church is the bride of Christ, but it refers to the new Jerusalem as the bride. And there is a lot of symbolism in these two chapters. And I believe John put these words down because this this bride thing is the most beautiful, the most pure, the most lovely. And he's seeing this New Jerusalem, literally coming down from heaven. That ought to blow your mind. Here's this city, a new Jerusalem, descending from God, coming down, and I can't even say on the earth because it might just be floating over the earth. It doesn't really tell us. But we know this new Jerusalem is going to be kind of like the new capital of heaven where we're going to spend eternity. And then it says in verse, verse three, that God will be among us. He was going to live among us. The Lamb, Jesus is going to be among us. He's going to be right there. We're going to be His people, and He is going to be our God." And verse four stresses that will not what will not be present. What will not be present is almost as good as what will be present. There will be no more tears. There will be no more grief, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. All of this will be gone forever. It doesn't exist any longer. In verse 5, he says, Behold, and any time when you see that word behold, it's like you or me grabbing our kids and saying, Hey, pay attention! Behold, I make all things new. This is going to be the culmination. This is going to be the final act of His redemption of all mankind and all of His creation. You know, remember when He created the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve in it, they walked with God in the cool of the night. They saw God face to face. That garden was in a sense a reflection of the character of God, His own creation. It was perfect for a long period of time. And then sin came, and we know what happened. And it's been deteriorating and going downhill ever since. But now we're seeing prophetically what's going to happen one day. There is going to be, and I believe this is very literal, even though there is lots of symbolism, I believe there is literally going to be a city descending from God, from heaven, the New Jerusalem, And when we see this new Jerusalem in just a few moments, it's going to be quite the scene. All things are new. Verse 6 says, it is done. It is done. Redemption is completed. The fullness of His redemption is completed. His plan of redemption, the final act, has occurred. And then in verses 6 and 8, there is an invitation and a warning. And I want to read verses 6 through 8. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We talked a lot about that last week. Here it is. It's a warning. And by the time this is taking place, it's too late to make a change. By the time this begins, by the time the new earth, and the new heavens are created, we are already through with the millennial age. We're already through with the final judgment at the white throne of God. And all of it, it tells us in Scripture, all the unbelievers who have rejected Christ, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, even Hades itself, death itself, has been thrown into the lake of fire. So when you're reading this, remember some of this, this is prophetic. So some of what you're reading, is you say, gee, that's going to happen right now. No, it's already happened. And John is just reiterating and maybe adding to it, giving more clarity to it but it's going to be too late. By this time, it's already all been decided. But we're being reinforced, I believe, as we look through this New Jerusalem. We see the description of New Jerusalem. It is to give us this amazing contrast to the old earth and the new heaven and the new earth, but also to give us a greater and greater picture of the amazing glory of God we are going to be at a new level of intimacy with God. He is going to be living where we're at. We are going to be in His presence. There will be no doubt in our mind who He is, what He is, and who we are and who we belong to. There will be no doubt in our minds we'll have fullness of understanding of what the love of God really is like because we will experience it in its fullness. You and I will know and be able to understand and believe how precious we are in His sight. Because there will be no lies, no deception. Satan is already cast into hell with all of the demons. There will be none of that anymore, ever. The city. Man, I don't want to take too much time, but it's pretty mind-blowing. If we and you and I happen to be standing there looking, which I intend to be, Here's what you're going to see. Starting in verse... uh, into verse 9. The angel says, Come to John and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Here it's in reference to the new Jerusalem. And it says this, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and His brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great wall, a high wall, with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, all their names. The Old Testament saints are not forgotten. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, the twelve disciples. The angel who talked with me, and he had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. It was as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length and was as wide and as high as it was long. 12,000 stadia is approximately 1,380 miles. Just under 1,400 miles. That's how long, wide, and high this city is. He measured its wall, and its wall was 144 cubits thick. That's 216 feet thick. By man's measurement, that the angel was using, the wall was made of jasper the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony. the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprace, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the 12 gates were a pearl, a single pearl of each gate. So all of us that are into hoarding gold and all those precious things, you're wasting your time. It's like building material. It's all God sees it as. And I believe as you read this and go through all of this, I believe there's a literal aspect to it, and I believe there's symbolic. But I believe more than anything, it's to demonstrate the purity, the holiness, and the righteousness. There will be no evil. There will be no temptation. Nothing like that. And God's glory is going to shine through all of these different precious metals. I don't even know what they all look like. But can you imagine the colors in heaven when you think of these precious jewels and these precious gems and the glory of God shining so brightly it tells us a little later there is no need for a sun. There is no need for a moon because the glory of God and the Lamb fills this new Jerusalem. And this is being prepared for you and me. For us. We're going to get to see this. We aren't going to have to wonder, gee, I wonder what heaven is. We're going to see this. You can read this and you can study this. You can look at all the symbolism. But there is no way our human mind is capable of understanding and imagining how amazing it's going to be. God's original creation was great. And until St. came, it was eternal. We're going to see something so much grander, so much greater. There's going to be a river of life flowing from the throne of God. There's going to be a tree of life. Adam and Eve had to have guards stationed at the garden so they couldn't go eat that tree after they sinned. The angels here aren't guarding anything. Those walls, they're just to give dimension, they're not there to protect from anything because there's nothing to protect from. The gates that are these huge pearls, they're not ever going to be shut because there's nothing to keep out. And we're going to see going in and out of this city continuously in the presence of God and in His glory. We read all these things and understand all these things in part now. We will eventually understand it all. Think of this city. And I always thought of it only as a possibility of being a cube. Some people think it could be a pyramid because length and width and height. But I believe it's a cube, and not just because I think that's better. I think it's maybe modeled for us a picture of the Holy of Holies in the old temple that was 20 feet by 20 feet by 20 feet, or cubits by cubits by cubits. It was a perfect cube, the Holy of Holies in the temple. But if this is in fact a cube, and it is in fact a city, some of us might say, yeah, right? How many people have been saved since the beginning of time and we're all going to live in that one little city? It isn't a little city. Think about this if you would. If you could lay it down on the United States, it would go from the Appalachians to the, the border of California. It's nearly 200, mil, 2 million, 200 million square miles. It's astounding. If you would theoretically, if it had floors, I don't know if it does, you could have those floors 100 miles apart. First floor, 100 miles, second floor. That thing would have 14 floors. 100 miles apart. Some of you have actually sat down and figured out the square footage, and you know that there's going to be plenty of room for each one of us. One person's data I read, and I don't know if he's right or not, it said we're going to each have about 70 square miles. <laughs> and we won't get lonely because we're in heaven. Whatever it is, it's big enough. And I believe it's a literal city. And again, the dimensions, the number 12, as you read that, you'll see the number 12 over and over and over and over. I, very, I believe it's very symbolic also of the government of God. But you will see all these things in this amazing city. And the materials of the city that I read in 18 through 21, just to point to the glory of God and His holiness, Wolverd, which was a commentator you may have not ever read, but he wrote it this way, the glory of God in the form of light without hindrance. I mean, just if you happen to be fortunate and have a nice big diamond or a big ruby and you get it under the light just right and all of the light is reflected, it's just this amazing thing. Now, can you imagine cities built of all of these gems? The streets of gold clear as glass. The glory of God radiating throughout his new creation. And it says in chapter 21 towards the end that there's no need for a temple. You know, in the Old Testament, we had a temple. In the New Testament, there's no building anymore, is there? We're the temple of God. And when we get to heaven, they says John is saying in his vision, there's no temple. John would have been very familiar with Jerusalem. When he rectorized it as New Jerusalem, he'd have been looking for the temple. There is no temple. Why? Because God and the Lamb are there with us. Continuous praise. Continuous worship. And as I said, the river of life from the throne of God. The tree of life, it says there's 12 different fruits, a different fruit every month. That ought to be one cool tree. Do we need to eat of the tree to stay alive? No. Do we need to eat in heaven? No. Will we be eating in heaven? Yes, I believe we'll get to. It's very clear. We will be able to, but again, for the pure joy and blessing of what it is that God provides. The leaves of the tree of life, it says they are for the healing of the nations. Does that mean we have to eat those leaves every now and then in heaven just to make sure we stay healthy? No. I believe it's symbolic of all that's going to be already have taken place. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. It's showing us the perfection of heaven and the glory and the grace of God. In verse 3 of chapter 22, I just want to read that. It says this, No longer will there be any curse. Obviously, we figured that out by now, but he reiterates to all of us, there will be no curse. You read the Old Testament, you read in Deuteronomy all that's included in the curse and it's like, oh my gosh, it's all gone. All gone forever. Never to return. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that when I re- think of it in terms of Revelation 21 and 22, it gives it such a brighter meaning. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. When we get to heaven, we will see clearly everything about God and His glory. We will know fully as He has known us. The understanding. There is a picture for us there of the intimacy that we are going to be able to have and will have with God and with Jesus Christ in His presence. An intimacy that we could never, ever have here on earth. But don't take that as an excuse to not try. But when we get to heaven, the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding, and as I said earlier, of His love. I'm going to close with two verses from chapter 22. First verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Come. The gates of eternity are still wide open. When this is taking place, they will have already been closed. But for today, for anyone here, it's wide open. And this is an invitation from Jesus Himself saying, Come. And some people automatically disqualify themselves by some ridiculous lies and deceptions of the devil that you're not good enough, you're not worthy. Maybe everybody else but not you. That's a lie. He says, Come. And who's he saying can come? All who hear. All who listen. You hear the Gospel. You hear the good news of Jesus. You're invited to come. All who are thirsty. All of us who know that we have a need, man, when you're thirsty, you know you need water. He's saying if you hear the Gospel, you recognize the need and you are thirsty because you know you can't do it on your own, you're invited to come. And all who desire, all who will respond to the working and the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. God tells us in His Word He has a desire that none should ever perish. In my mind, that tells me that he is going to try to woo every single person that ever has lived on the planet. The problem is, some will reject that wooing. And some will say no. And some people say to me, Mike, your God will send people to hell, and I say, no, he won't. You will choose, one way or another, where you're going to go. It's up to you. He's going to woo, you're going to hear, He's going to hold you accountable for what you've heard and what you know, and you get to choose. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but those that reject Christ will. It's an open invitation. And verses 18 and 19 close with a warning for us. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues that have been described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful book. It's been given to us by God as a gift through the Apostle John to tell us what's coming. It should cause an urgency in us if we've never accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We need to do that. Because when it says He's coming suddenly or quickly, it means it's going to happen like that. And you aren't going to get a 60-second warning or a six-hour warning or anything like that to get a second chance. Once He comes, it's done. It's over with. But if we say yes, all of these promises... Everything that we've talked about in chapters twenty-one and twenty-two are for us, and besides putting an urgency in our heart, it should put an urgency in our heart to share the good news with others. Because if we believe what the word says, all those judgments we read about and studied, when the seals were opened, where the trumpets were opened, and when the bowls of vials were poured out, they're real too. And the lake of fire is real let's close in prayer heavenly father we thank you so much for your word that you have given us we thank you for your holy spirit that can take your word and and quicken it in us and bring it to life in us god i pray that we would be encouraged and challenged by this book of revelation that you have given us god that it would not put fear in us except for a fear of the lord God, that we would have this burning in us by Your Spirit to share the good news of the Gospel to all who would listen. That they might hear. They might be thirsty. And this thirst could be quenched as You woo them to Yourself. God, and I pray that there's anyone here that has not accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that You would draw them and woo them and give them grace and the faith to receive Jesus even today. Father, I thank you and praise you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And from the knowledge we have from your word that you love us unconditionally. Unconditionally, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You're always there with us to go through whatever trials and testings come our way. That we have a hope and confidence and secure in Christ. And Lord, as we prepare to dismiss, I pray your blessing upon each one who is going to take the step of faith of publicly declaring what you've done in their lives by being baptized. Father, I pray for each one that it would be an experience that would, would, would just be, be like a branding iron in their soul as to who they are, whose they are, and what you've done in their life, and a public proclamation of your goodness. Protect us as we go our different directions, Lord. I pray you would give us the grace to to take every opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people we come across. And it's in your precious Son's name we pray these things. Amen.